Welcome to Talkback, a podcast that celebrates New York theater and its place in our culture. I'm Kahari Blue. I'm Rishi Metallic. And we're here to add some color to the Great White Way. Hi, everyone. We're so happy to be back. Um, it's been a couple weeks and not much has changed in terms of our personal our situations. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, my birthday was this week. Happy belated birthday. I posted on the Instagram for you and all 25 people who saw <gasps> Wait, it. Wait, you, you said that you were going to post on my Facebook wall and then you didn't. Oh, I'm so sorry. Look, I was really busy just being in my house. I was just stuck in, you know what I mean? Okay, context. <laughs> I had such a busy schedule. Context. When our friendship was blossoming in high school, yeah. we would post on each other's Facebook walls, like, weekly. <laughs> um, as one does in, like, yeah, like this is the prime of Facebook, like, posting on walls. Exactly. Um, and then our birthday posts would be incredibly elaborate. And hilarious. And then we tag, like, the whole world in them, because everyone had to know about it, because we were extra. And uh, they would, like, they were staples or of our friendship. I feel like people honestly know us more for our Facebook posts than our podcast. People would look forward to that. People who didn't really know us well, they would know our Facebook posts, and people would be like, oh, you and Kahari are just so funny, and it's, it would be people who I'd never talked to in my life before. <laughs> But, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't... But now it's 2020, and I guess Rishi doesn't feel the need to honor me publicly, but... Well, frankly, you know, part of I'll it is, it like... Rock. Part of it is, like, we do this work because we believe in it, but we also do this because... Well, I do it because of recognition, and frankly, most people are not on Facebook these days. So, I just know I'm not gonna get those likes, Ka, and I just... It's, you know, that's that's why I do it more than anything, so. Rishi, I literally, I literally hate you. All right, y'all. Um, besides it being my birthday, we wanted to talk about Tiger King. Because, um, I guess yeah. since the last time we recorded, that's been a new thing that's been introduced into our lives. This crazy Netflix documentary. So it's called Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness, which is... Mayhem. Exactly what it is. Um, it's all of those things. Mayhem. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's the talk of the town. It's it's really zeitgeisty right now. Everyone's talking about it. So, And we actually think there's a lot of connections to things that we think about when we think about theater and entertainment and how it interacts with the world. So, Rish, what were your thoughts on this insane documentary well for context when i watched it i watched it with my dad and i had turned it on you saw it before me and you were like you need to you need to watch this so i put it on and my dad was just like on the computer kind of paying attention but as it began he got sucked in and we watched the entire thing together um and my like initial thought are how the fuck do these people exist like how are they real people um I found it, like, hilarious, just, like, in some ways, like, I, they're just the most colorful people I've ever seen. And then, I think, the more I sat with it, I was like, this is supremely disturbing. And also, as it progressed, it just got more and more disturbing. Like, like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have spoilers, so if you haven't, if you have not, uh, checked out Tiger King, do so. Because I think this will be more enjoyable if you have. But, um, 
Carol Baskin was a character who at first I was like, oh my goodness, you know, maybe I'm rooting for her. But then as more was revealed, not only did I find her entire like mission kind of cloaked in like publicity and capitalism and all that stuff, but as she, as it progressed and we found her, oh, she's a murderer? I was like, okay, no. And that was when, that was kind of when I was like, oh, none of these people are redeemable. And um, yeah. Joe Exotic is an equally disturbing, confusing, dynamic character. There's so much going on. His personality is just broad as all hell. And I think that's one of the things that makes him entertaining. Um, and he hates Carol and really wants, um, honestly, her to die. Uh, and Carol wants to close Joe's private zoo down. So it's a huge back and forth. And that's kind of what the exciting thing is about the the documentary from like a dramatic perspective. Um, but I'm interested in what you said about you not believing that these characters were real because that's how I felt too. And it's one of the things that concerned me. I was like, why don't I know these people? And it's a similar feeling I felt when I saw Heroes of the Fourth Turning, um, the play by Will Arbery, just because whenever I'm exposed to middle of America in a real way, I'm kind of just blown away <laughs> by the way these people live um, and the way a lot of them think For just sure. so differently. But I would also say that, you know, even though obviously this is a different demographic than you know, what we're familiar with. I do think that even for people in middle America, these people are next level characters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's just like, I don't think most people (laughs) um, in this part of the U.S. are like this. I think, you know, they also play it up for the cameras too, especially Joe. Um, And that's what I kind of, it made me think a lot about like, Mm. just, it felt like a uniquely American story, sadly, like, people who can just make themselves into personalities and make themselves their product. You know what I mean? Because he even says at one point, people aren't coming for the yeah. aren't coming for the tigers, they're coming for me. I think he says something like that. And then he runs for president. Like it's just like it made me think about the person who's in the White House right now. It made me think of Chicago too. You know what I mean? Like the ways in which we we turn celebrity yeah. into a business. And I found that to be so disturbing, especially when you mm-hmm. consider how terribly both his employees, all of their employees, and the animals are treated. I found that so heartbreaking and devastating. Also, I quickly want to say, Doc, I found him so disturbing. Well, first of all, he's a predator. There's no other words for what he is. Um, and also, he used these Indian, like, he used all these like these Hindu terms, and I found that so disturbing because... Not only was he renaming these women these these like names of goddesses and all sorts of things, it felt like wildly appropriative on top of it being predatory and that was just you know, me and my dad were just you know, as he was like quoting lines from different like Hindu poems and stuff like that, I was just like, Okay, bye. This is this is too much for me to take. This is like it's making me angry and uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah no, the people are cruel, like very deeply disturbing people. And my issue with the documentary is that it doesn't seem to, like, it doesn't seem to be indicting them in any way. It kind of just presents them as these crazy, entertaining people. And as a viewer sitting on my couch watching Netflix, I'm just supposed to be thrilled and entertained. And I'm not going to lie, at times I was. But they are definitely abusing these animals. They're being held in captivity when they shouldn't be. 
there's more um, tigers in captivity in the U.S. right now than there are in the wild in the whole world. And it just shows that, like, what we really need to be focusing on is the actual conservation of the species. And there's a way to conserve a species, and it's not to just hold them in these, like, uh, confined areas and literally kill them and serve them to your husband. Oh, wait, let me not. But, you know, like, there's there's a way to do it. Um, and it's clear that these tigers are being tortured. And the way that we as a society are kind of reacting to it in this, like, mm. I, I want to say glorifying way is making me uncomfortable. There's all these memes uh, about Joe and Carol, and while I'm also into them... Which I'm guilty of sharing. Yeah, I mean, like, they're funny, and we live in a meme culture where we're trying to make everything funny. But, like, these are really disgusting people who need to be um, taken for that. And I think that the documentary didn't really have that point of view. It was kind of like, here's these wild people, enjoy. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I think it also, it's made me think about, you know, why is this show so popular right now? I think it's the number one show on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but at its prime, it was the number one show. Um, which means it's probably the number one show people are streaming right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it made me think, like, what is it about right now that made that show so popular. Obviously, part of it is that we're all in our houses and we're we're all just watching Netflix, you know. Um, but then I think on top of that, I think the show offers in a very kind of uncomfortable way an escape for people, because even though there are really serious issues underneath uh, the documentary, there's also just enough of it is absurd and kind of ridiculous that. I think compared to just the horror that we're experiencing as a world right now, um, and just the amount of fear and anxiety everybody has, I think it, it kind of serves as this kind of weird, absurd release for people. And I wonder, after this moment, when we look back on it, how we're going to think about it. You know, I think right now we're so, there's so many other things we're trying to figure out as a society that maybe, you know, the serious ethical implications of this is not a serious consideration now. But yeah, it's a very complicated thing. And yeah. For sure. I think that's a good point that there are more serious conversations happening right now. So like analyzing the problems of Tiger King um, aren't necessarily type of mind. But I just can't help but think if this were a Mm. Michael Vick film documentary, like charting the experience that... Uh, the dogs had um, when Michael Vick was partaking in dog fighting, it would have been taken completely differently. So, sure. I, I, I'm angry. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. Right. And I just think it's annoying um, the way that white people just get away for doing white people shit and it's kind of dismissed as white people shit instead of being a really serious issue. That's another aspect of this. I think just how specifically... Imagine any other community. Imagine any, any other community, other community and like... how grossly they would have been stereotyped and defined by this in a way that... I mean, it, that's nothing new. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And also another element of this, too, is recently Joe Exotic. Um, there was a report that he had wa- wanted to say the N-word on camera. I think that's what it was. And it's like, of course, first of all. like That was not a surprise to, I think, anybody who watched the documentary. But it also just reminds me again about how sometimes we in glamorizing personality and and you know kind of being so amused by people like this how do we give 
those kind of people platforms and power. You know what I mean? Even if it's in a joking way. I mean, we laughed Trump mm-hmm. all the way to the presidency and look what the fuck that got us, right? You know what I mean? Like, in the beginning, people thought it was a joke, and now it's very yeah. much not a joke. And um, I don't know. I think that's just a continuing problem in our culture that I don't really know how we get out of it because we're so easily seduced by personality. That's what politics is anyway, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's also just interesting how different people respond to things differently. Like you said, how we laughed Trump into his seat. Uh, and I think a very similar thing is happening with Tiger King and that people are, people know it's bad and brutal, but we're just laughing at it. And I, it just makes me think about kind of the meme culture right. we live in and whether it's productive or not. Like, is it good for all everything that we on the left as progressives find um, repulsing if we just laugh at it and make a meme about it is that actually going to push forward the conversation or is it regressive in a way does it just allow them to have an additional platform um, to continue to um, do the things that we think are so harmful that's a really interesting question and actually something I think I've been thinking about a lot I think you know we're in this really interesting age with satire and comedy where you have conservatives who are always like, oh my goodness, you know, liberals are easily trigger, triggered and like, you know, they're so sensitive, they can laugh about anything. When in my mind, I think one really helpful way that so many people talk about this is the punch up, punch down um, method for comedy, which is when it comes to how we make fun of people, yeah. are we punching up? Are we making fun of people who are more powerful than us? Because that's what satire has at its most effective um, state been. It's been critiquing those in power, critiquing our institutions, and poking fun at them in a way that's politically exciting and actually pushes us forward. Mm-hmm. But when we punch down and we make fun of marginalized communities, when we make fun of people of color and immigrants and women and the LGBTQIA community, that's when it's not just humor, it's actually violence because it's contributing to the very real inequality they feel. So to me, I think that's an element of where from one lens, it's like making fun of them, I think um, makes fun of their values, which I think is a good thing. But I think there's a way in which we're not only making fun of them, we're also kind of scanning them. And that's the scary part to me, you know, where it's like we make jokes that kind of align ourselves with them and they enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's an interesting framework of the punching up and punching down. And what I'm curious about is like where the actual animals fall into it. So if you're punching up at Joe Exotic, um, does that mean that like, I'm curious if it actually means that you are punching up at his, his actions because we're like I think that this documentary isn't punching up. Um, I think this documentary is just showing there's no satire, and I think that's the issue um, with the way that it works, like as a piece of art. Um, but but I also understand, like in this time, that people need that relief to just laugh things off, um, where there is so much going on in the world that seems so horrible. Um, so escaping right now into something that feels light for you is definitely vital. I just would hope that 
Tiger King doesn't feel light and hilarious to um, too many people because I think that actually does more harm uh, than good. For sure. And I think um, when, when, you know, you are talking about people who do odious things, I think you always have to be very intentional as creatives, you know, or as journalists or whatever on how you're portraying them. And if you're... Um, if the work you're doing around them is actually giving them more of a platform. And I just think, you know, as we continue to to live our lives under this horrific administration and have extreme institutional political problems, I just hope that con- continually journalists, artists, and anybody who tells stories understands the power they have in how they frame things, you know what I mean? And how every story, every piece of art you know, whether or not int- you're trying to be overtly political or polemical with it, it is political, right? Everything has a point of view. That's all politics is, right? A point of view in the world. And even if you can't get in actual trouble for the things you put out into the world, there is an ethical responsibility we all have, especially when we have a platform. And hopefully that's something that people continually, you know, take from this. Mm. But I'm curious, if do we have a responsibility as viewers to watch things that we think um, are taking that into account. So do we as viewers have a responsibility to be watching things that we think are really interrogating our society? Or do you think um, it's okay for us to fall into things that are more just funny, um, light, and aren't kind of acknowledging the political world we live in? Well, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think it it kind of creates this dichotomy, are we escaping um, or are we interrogating? And I think to me, there's multiple layers to this, but I think um, just because something is not overtly addressing political um, issues does not mean it's not useful and does not mean it doesn't serve a purpose. To me, we just have to ask ourselves, first of all, is, is this thing regressive or is it progressive? And by regressive, I mean, is it is it kind of, is it teaching us wrong lessons? Is it not serving people in a productive way? Are there bigoted aspects to what it is? And if it is regressive, then I think whether it's trying to be overtly political or not, it's not of use. But to me, I think escapism is actually a really important part of, of the things we consume. And I know personally in times when I have been going through shit that watching a really uh, like really silly comedy or you know watching a silly Broadway musical or listening to you know something like that has actually given me so much joy and strength and joy is radical and that's a beautiful yeah. thing and I think you know as much as I believe in political art and artsy experimental work that's pushing the boundaries and all of that is wonderful it's like we also have to remember that entertainment has always been a service business and part of that service is to make people smile and is to make people happy. So yes, there's always an ethical bend to things, but I think both kinds of content can exist. Personally. Yeah, and also in times of crisis, like the one we're in now, um, those feel good pieces of art that make you smile and uh, make your heart sing are extremely important. Like I know I wouldn't be able to preserve my mental health if it weren't for listening to 
the Legally Blonde cast recording while I'm like doing my work in the middle of the day. Like those are the things that keep my spirits up when I know that there's so much that um, that's a struggle right now. Um, so I agree. Like I, right. I appreciate being able to have both. Like have the the slave plays of the world that I'm like, okay, I'm watching um, like my people be enslaved by people in 2020 so that's a horrible awkward feeling for me to have in a theater um but i also want to make sure that i have mamma mia's in my life that make me feel joy um and just make me want to get up and dance one thing i will say though is that i think there's a trend of um people of color not really being able to have those escapist shows um like when i think about like the big black movies that have come out over the past couple decades so many of them have been slave um narratives where we are in chains when we're getting whipped it's like all these horrible things to show like look how far we have come and i think that black people are often um kind of props to spread a political message um instead of props to show how joyous um the world can be and i feel like that's often left to the white people like they get to have the rom-coms they get to have the superhero movies and that's why um like when crazy rich asians came out the other year and black panther came out those were such huge moments in the culture because for east asians it was like oh look we can like high world we can be sexy and fun and black people were like oh hello world like we can have superhero movies as well so i think that's something that we need to continue to interrogate as art makers. Um, who are we letting tell what stories and making sure that we just continue to diversify in every way so that, um, you know, white people are doing more of the work of interrogating our society um, and we're letting Absolutely. people of color breathe a little bit more because, like, that's sometimes how it feels in this industry. It's like we need to be doing the work in capital letters when sometimes it's like, I just want to get on stage and sing Legally Blonde and call it a day. I love what you said, saying just let us breathe because I think, to me, that's such an important thing. And it also tells us a lot about how the world sees us, you know what I mean? In terms of, and I'm saying, like, people of color as a larger, you know, community. It's because just to constantly see people in you know, in positions of victimhood or positions of, you know, in my case, like, I feel like the stereotypes for South Asian men, at least, are, you know, it's largely terrorists or it's, you know, nerds, people who are afraid to talk to women. Like, you know, there's all sorts of horrible stereotypes around this. And I think it tells you a lot about how, you know, we're not seen as full, complex humans who go through the emotions and experiences that every other white person does, you know what I mean? And I think, I know personally growing up not having representation and images of people like me, brown Americans, who were having a wide range of experiences, that definitely had an effect on how I grew up. I internalized a lot of things. I felt very limited by that. And and I think it also, you talking about this is making me think maybe we need to just expand what we consider important. Because I think escapism when it is by people of color that is political that is important and that is radical in our society having a film like crazy rich asians or a film like black panther allowing people of color to just breathe and have fun and live a life and yeah i i really hope 
you know, more people in power, and hopefully we will have more people of color, you know, in these positions of power, I hope they understand that, you know, we bring a wide range of experience. We bring everything that any other person brings, you know, we're just not recognized for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all, like, when we think about theater and, uh, I guess, all type of storytelling, um, entertainment and media, it's it should be about making it a little bit easier to live and uh, like that's what i was trying to say when i said to breathe but i guess that's a more poetic way of saying it um in that when we are doing work that i guess interrogates society um the goal of that needs to be oh let's like show what is wrong with our country um, and our world and where we need to grow in order to get where we want to be. And when and then the escapist shows are the ones that say, okay, let's honor how beautiful the world is. Um, and that, like, yes, there's a bunch of um, oppression and harm being spread constantly, but, like, look what God has done, or, you know what I mean? So, so I definitely feel the need for both, um, and think that I'm most like content in a theatrical season, for example, when I think there's a really strong balance of really fun shows that just make me feel good and shows that really make me, um, aspire to live in a better world. For sure. I think there has to be an aspirational quality to the work we put out. And also, I think we live in a very complicated condition where we have a world where we're constantly seeing how our systems are failing, how much inequality and violence and just, you know, destruction lies just all around us. And that can be an extremely sobering, devastating and affecting thing. You know what I mean? And it affects a lot of people's day-to-day existence, both mentally and physically. And we have that, but then on the other hand, we also have, you know, beautiful things like relationships and connections and friendships and music and community and all of these things that if we're allowed to, you know, have a life full of those, make our existence on this, you know, planet very beautiful. And it's so important that we live in both realities, but that we also balance both realities out and are able to live in both worlds where we're, you know, constantly endeavoring to be better and to do better for people who don't have the privilege to just live in that one world, but then that we're also filling ourselves up with the beauty that everything is. And I know, like, you know, I know so many people who have kind of been struck with the question, like, what is the point? And when you look at all of these beautiful things that we could have through community and through expression, it's like, that is the point. You know what I mean? That's what, you know, we all could have that makes our time on this earth livable and bearable and wonderful you know what I mean and I think it's just an ongoing thing and that's why I'm very happy to be you know somebody who's a part of this theater community and who's a part of this artistic community and I know you are as well because we get to kind of live in both of these spaces and try to make sense of it all yeah and I guess to bring it back to Tiger King something I I felt myself really wanting to live in one of those worlds and just it, it didn't get me there. I didn't feel that I was 
like singing at the beauty of the world and then I also did not feel like I was really grappling with the fact that we live in a place so oppressive it did neither of that for me which is why um I think I was personally underwhelmed uh despite the like huge media frenzy but I am just so thankful to be someone who's deeply obsessed with the with with theater because I'm able to find joy and stimulation um, in both of those worlds. For sure. Um, actually, and as you know, as we're wrapping up, I was you know thinking about what Tiger King represents and thinking like, what are what is like an, an what is like a piece of art that is kind of the antithesis of that? And I have two recommendations that I think could be useful to our viewers. One is a play by this amazing. South Asian playwright named Rajiv Joseph, who I'm a big fan of, and it's called Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. And it was originally performed on Broadway with Robin Williams as the tiger. And you actually see the point of view of an animal. It also deals with war and a lot of other issues of violence and destruction I love and, and colonialism. And it is all, and like I said, it's from the point of view of a tiger, or at least part of it is from the point of view of a tiger. And I think that's a very, you know, worthwhile thing if, you know, we have theater-minded people who want to consider counterpoints to this. Yeah. And, and another also, one is wait, a play by Lynn Nottage, which... Sorry, just to... Because I'm just so interested in that. Because I also ahead. love how it makes the tiger, like, a subject instead of an object. And I feel like that's so much what's missing in Tiger King is that... Um, it's all about, like, Joe and Carol and Doc, um, and it's nothing about the tigers, and it's honestly just a very speciesist piece, um, and I love the idea that, oh no, like, the animals can communicate with us, they are communicating with us the entire time. the animals can speak. Yeah, so that's awesome, I'm gonna read that. Thanks for the rec. Yes, it's, it's wonderful. And then another one, and then another recommendation I have is actually a play that I have not read, but I've only heard wonderful things about and am trying to... Are you going to gonna say sweat? Do, it's another play by Lynn Nottage. It's called Mlima's Tale, and it's about an elephant named Mlima, and it it, it watches yes. Mlima go through the ivory trade, and it's, and it's tracing her experience, and it's apparently... Lynn Nottage did a lot of research on the ivory trade, which is obviously a, um, a huge economic machine especially in um in kenya and other and other african countries and not just african countries you know it starts in africa but then it goes all over the world and it's kind of an international uh industry and so much money is made on the bodies of these beautiful elephants and um i feel like both of these plays might might serve as a nice counterpoint like you said and and yes and give us a consideration of another perspective that is not taken into place you know what i mean instead of instead of you know kind of flattening animals it considers their identity in really expansive ways and also can i just quickly say this is what i love about the theater that that in the theater you can do something like that in a way that you know i think in other mediums it might not feel realistic to do it might not feel like you you're able to um you're able to go into the into the mind and imagination of an animal you know, without it turning into something non-realistic. But the theater, because it's so um, kind of abstract, you can do all of these very creative things and you can imagine 
so many more um so many Hearing more things. you say this is just it's so just beautiful it, it sounds absurd to me to, to say that, oh, yes, communication with animals can only happen in the theater. Not exactly that that's what you're saying, but it's like, uh, we have nonverbal right. cues constantly with animals. We are constantly in conversation with nature, and it's such a oh, twisted, like, strange uh, humanist view that 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 the, the animals aren't um, in conversation with us. It just... It, it gets under right. my skin, and that, and that's not what I that's not what I, I didn't. No, I understand I didn't that. that but like, I, in terms I, you know of, what I'm saying though. Like, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think, and that's also like it. It just goes back to kind of I think in general how we think about marginalized communities. It's like we don't take into take them into consideration, and I think more and more there's a movement to start considering animals um, seriously and to realize that no, those are also vulnerable vulnerable bodies that are being exploited and mistreated and we need to be intentional especially as we're thinking about climate change too and what the consumption of meat does you know to our natural world there's so many conversations that need to be had and um i'm glad we can at least broach them you know in this in this little podcast another recommendation random is the um arab israeli cookbook which is a play that it's a verbatim piece of theater and it goes through um, different Arab and Israeli uh, people's recipes for their favorite dishes and explores the conflict in a way that is uh, just gives all the hope in the world. So would highly suggest that as well. Um, Look at you guys. That's it from us. You guys have some homework. Come back. Tell us, tell us what you thought about these if you do read them. Um, and uh, I don't know, I'm so grateful that we have a forum where we can talk about some of these things and connect them to theater and to the broader world. Um, I think we both believe that, you know, content and theater especially does save lives in different ways and is just an important avenue we have to express ideas and to move our culture and our world forward. And um, you can look forward to more conversations like this. Who knows what the next weeks and months you know, I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, you know, staying inside um, and is helping out their communities in different ways. You know, I encourage everybody to keep, you know, active and engaged in their communities and, you know, see if any resources are needed for the people around you um, because, you know, that's work we can all do um, while we're all, you know, just waiting and hoping that this nightmare ends. But, um, as long as we are here, we're going to be bringing you an episode every week. And um, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's definitely sad that we're not going to have shows to talk about um, in the moment for the next couple months. But theater just lives in our uh, cultural and national history. So um, we'll definitely be able to keep bringing up the shows that we all love. Um, and how they connect to everything that's going on in this moment. So, much love. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talkback. If you enjoyed what you heard, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TalkbackCast. Want to join the conversation? Tweet at us using the hashtag TalkbackPodcast. We'll see you next time.